The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Something we've talked actually quite a bit about in the show over the last few days is the weather that we're experiencing here in Ireland and the weather in Europe. And you all know at this stage that the reason it is so wet and cold here and it is so swelteringly hot in Europe is the jet stream. The jet stream lies south of us at the moment, north of most of continental Europe. And that explains the weather. But what if that kink in the jet stream were to become the norm, if it were to become more permanent? Well, recent research uh, would suggest that that may be more likely uh, than uh, some people have suspected in the past. And were it to become the norm, it would have a devastating impact on our food production systems. George Monbiot is with me, the environmental activist and Guardian columnist. George, you're welcome to the show as always, um, we might talk about that kind of the, the 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 attention or lack thereof this research has been getting. But what more can you tell us about it? Sure. So it, it's not that the the kinks become permanently stuck, but they do become stuck um, for it seems for longer periods as a result of global heating, and and those kinks that stuck weather. Um, turns very rapidly into extreme weather. I mean, basically, stuck weather is extreme weather. That's why it becomes extreme. It's because it's not moving on. And so the heat builds and builds, or if you're north of the jet stream, uh, you just get endless rain and cold, and you can end up with floods as a result. And so, um, and the real danger now is that um, this latest paper uh, estimates that we have grossly um, underestimated the chances of that stuck weather happening in several of the world's major bread baskets at the same time. And if that is the case, if that does happen, then you could see crop losses in all of those major bread baskets, which could have, well, an almost unimaginable effect so, on, on the world's people. A, 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 an increase in likelihood doesn't necessarily make something likely. So, I mean, how ominous is the warning in this paper? Well, it I mean, it, it, it definitely suggests there's been a major underestimate of the chances. Um, what it doesn't do is say there's now a one in three chance or a one in five chance of this happening in any particular year. Um, but it, it does suggest that we should be much more alert to this danger than we've been so far. And and were it to transpire thus, I mean, is it that the environment then is no longer conducive to growing crops simply because the weather is too, it, it fluctuates too wildly, becomes too extreme? Well, well what we've seen um, is that major heat waves and droughts beyond a certain point have a serious impact on crop yields. We saw that, for instance, in India last year. Um, in, in fact, it was quite quite a, a dire situation because um, in April, India had come forward and said, um, don't you worry about the wheat shortfall caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine because we've got a bumper harvest on the way and that'll make up the global shortfall. And then just a few weeks later, it said uh, about that bumper harvest, we're in fact banning all exports from India of wheat because there's been this massive heat wave which has shriveled the grains on the plants. And and we've seen similar impacts with major heat domes in other parts of the world where it's had quite a severe impact on global, global crop yields. Now, normally that isn't much of a problem from the global perspective. It can be a big problem for local people, but mm. from the global perspective, you know, we rely on our food security 
um, on, on averaging. You know, like you might have a bad harvest in one part of the world, but you have a good harvest in another part. And so uh, it smooths itself out. But if we if these kinks form a certain pattern and become stuck, then we could see several of the major grain growing areas of the world, like Western North America, uh, like Europe, like East Asia, um, all at the same time being left high and dry effectively and suffering very severe heat waves and droughts which could hammer their their harvests uh, history is absolutely full of examples of of uh, uh, civilizations empires uh, countries nation states cities collapsing for a whole host of reasons but actually what historians will tell you a lot of the time the main reason is actually food prices or availability of food that is generally yeah. the that is generally the straw that breaks the camel's back uh, and you apply that to this and it would suggest maybe it it should be getting an awful lot of attention a warning that global food systems may be able to collapse mm, because it's not just a question of of a lack of food i mean we've already seen since 2015, a rise in the number of chronically hungry people. And this wasn't at all what was predicted. You know, people anticipated a continued smooth decline, as there had been for many years, in the number of chronically hungry people. And that by 2030, one of the main UN goals would be met, that it would be an, there'd be an end to global hunger. Instead, it's been going in the opposite direction, despite the fact that we've had pretty successful um, harvests throughout that period and and the main reason appears to be that the system itself has become unstable in much the same way as the financial system became unstable in the years leading up to 2008 and and this is a phenomenally dangerous situation because you know if the if the banks have gone down and of course they were rescued at the 11th hour by a massive global bailout but if they had gone down it would have had pretty dire consequences for many of the world's people. But if the, the food system goes down, I mean, it doesn't bear thinking about. It's just off the scale in terms mm. of, of what that will do. Now, we don't know, you know, when a system loses its resilience, which is what the global food system seems to have done, we don't know what event could tip it over the edge. It could be a very big one, like a sort of simultaneous harvest failure in several different places, or it could be a comparatively minor one, like the US subprime crisis was with, with the financial system. I mean, it was tiny by comparison to the scale of financial flows, but it was the butterfly's wing which tipped that system over the brink. Now, there's lots of signs that the global food system could be pretty close to the brink. Why isn't it getting more attention? This is, this is my endless question and endless frustration. So, um, I, I mean, I wrote this article in, in The Guardian last week and I pointed out that um, uh, the uh, issues around Philip Schofield's affair with a, um, a junior colleague um, uh, had got over 10,000 articles written about it, mostly in the UK media. But the, the global coverage of this massive paper with these terrifying, extraordinarily important implications was a total of five articles. So, you know, celebrity gossip, which is basically forgotten within a couple of weeks, is thousands of times more important to the media 
than these massive existential issues. I mean, what what the hell? What is the media there for if it's not going to tell us what's important? I, I'm 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 not. Uh, it's just going to sound like I'm suddenly jumping to the defence of the media, and I'm I'm not necessarily doing that. What what some might suggest is that they're giving the people what they want. Mm. Well. You know, they're, yes, they're kind of, as in, extent. they'll say, listen, we're kind of just mercenaries about this. I'll, I'd, I'd put this on the front page if I thought it would shift more newspapers, but I know Schofield will. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, that that's true, though it becomes a bit self-generating. You know, if you tell people the most important thing of all is some celebrity scandal, then people <laughs> say, oh, yeah, that's the important thing. Yeah. Um, whereas if you gave this huge issue the, the, the coverage it deserves, then people might begin to focus on it as... Yeah, we have done from time to time on important issues. Um, But it's also, there's a lot of self-interest involved. I mean, if you look, for instance, at the profile of the UK press, um, the great majority of it is owned by offshore billionaires. And the last thing they want is any coverage which threatens business as usual because business as usual has made them the billionaires they, they they are and they want to preserve and extend that system whereas annoying people like me are challenging mm-hmm. the system which has made them so rich and is saying actually this system is crocked and it needs to change and any coverage which reinforces that message is seen as a threat. And George, do you suspect as well uh, like on some level old-fashioned ideas as supremacy kind of bubble not too deep beneath the surface either. Mm. That people read this and they think, well, that sounds devastating. But ultimately, I know the real losers in that will be the developing world because we will still have money. So we we will be okay here in London or Dublin or New York. Yeah, which which is probably in in the broad sense true if it comes to a sort of global famine like this because it'll all be decided by purchasing power. Mm. It'll be the, the countries with the weak currencies um, who are very import dependent who will be at the end of the queue and you know there might be the most devastating famine you could ever imagine but in countries like ours we might not be massively affected directly by that but you know the moral call here has to be heard you know we, we can't just sit back and let something like that happen and say well it's okay because it's not us or it might not be us um, but that's fundamentally what we're doing with all these climate and environmental issues. You know, we're saying, well, if it affects us, we'll be affected last and least. And the people affected first and worst will be on the other side of the world. So who cares? And it's like this complete repudiation of our own humanity. George Mambio, environmental activist uh, activist and guardian columnist. George, uh, always interesting and illuminating to speak to you. And listen, thanks a million for taking the time. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.